Well, that's it. It's the last box. I shut the rolling door down on the moving truck, patted it so that they would know they could take off, walked to the front of the house, turned around and looked, and took a deep sigh. I was taking the last look at my beautiful two-story home, my dream home. I had lost it all. I had lost everything. Hey, this is Michelle Spiba, and I want to welcome you to today's podcast of Wisdom Smack. So join me on the flip as I talk about the Restart Handbook. I'll see you then. I'm not um, too proud to say that I have had some lows and some highs and some lows again. (laughs) You know, let's be real. Everything is not always perfect. Everything that we do is not going to always work out. But I do know that hopefully if we continue to push forward, our bad days won't outweigh our good days. In the portion that I talk about in the A part, I was standing in front of the house I had worked so hard for and I lost it. Um, I lost everything, actually. I went through bankruptcy, foreclosure, car repossession, bad credit, you name it. I became a social pariah, and I was at the mercy of of a a family member who allowed me to stay with them for a year to get back on my feet enough to be able to rebuild. And it was very hard. It was demeaning. It was shameful, everything. And I've talked about how in previous uh, podcasts, I've talked about how you're not, your, your worth is not tied to who you are. But I'll tell you this part, society sure does want it to be. I don't know why it is that when people have uh, financial hard times, people, other people start to equate them with a terminal, highly contagious disease, highly painful and highly contagious disease. And so, yeah, I was sitting there and I I was looking at everything uh, that I had built for years for uh, savings and all of that. And it was, I'll I'll just be honest, it was um, due to the dot dot, dot com bomb, the crash. Yeah, I uh, lost my job and I even had to train my replacement when our company was sold to another company because they said it was redundancy in work effort. And uh, yeah, so anyway, I had to rebound from that. And one of the things that I am going to be talking to you about today is actually some things you might want to consider if you find yourself in that predicament. You see, this is about us sharing and wisdom and uh, hopefully being able to help you not have to go through the hard, hard times. I'm even going to be talking about OPE today, other people's experiences and how you can use that to mitigate or lessen the impact if you're having to find yourself restart. Now, the reason why I'm saying this is because uh, right now, I personally am finding out about a lot of people who are being thrust forcefully out of their work positions, and they're having a severe change 
in lifestyle, earnings, and all of that. Now, my thing is, is that because this happened to me when I was young, I had a really good, in hindsight, I had a really good uh, bounce back because I hadn't been so ingrained um, in into what it was I did. And so I was able to bounce back. And I actually remained somewhat in that industry for a few more years before I decided to change careers. So what is this Restart Handbook? Now, I can't tell you all of it. I'm going to just give you some highlights because we only have a few minutes to talk today. So I'm going to hit you with, I think, some of the things that are not as obvious that you need to consider if you find yourself uh, needing to restart your life. Now, if you notice, I didn't say reboot. I didn't even say uh, reset. I said restart. And the reason why I even chose that word is because a restart allows you to do something new and do something different. It's just that you're going to restart on a new path where you get to be and do anything you want to. Now, I'm not going to talk about the um, things that you could consider looking at. We might do that in a a different podcast on what kind of skills. But I'm going to, like I said, I'm going to talk about some stuff that you may not have uh, thought about that I have gleaned. Because let me tell you, that was one of the biggest restarts I've had to have. But trust me, I've had many more since then. And the good thing is, is they get better when you get knocked down. And I think it's because I live the life of the entrepreneur now that I have to uh, know how to regroup when things don't work out and I have to rebound and and make it as fast and as effortless as not effortless, but as fast and um, easy as possible. Okay, so let's get started. So what I like to call this is your second wind strategy. So once you have law, have a a suffer, a loss, a setback, a defeat, um, a failure, Use your second win strategy. Now, the second win strategy has to do a little bit with reflection, but then also a little bit with propulsion. So use a postmortem to go through and debrief on what went wrong, what went right, and if given enough time, would have been a winner. That's real important because when you are coming back up, trying to get back on your feet from a setback. A lot of times you can only focus on what went wrong instead of what went right. And if you had had enough time, enough investment, enough money or whatever, you could have made it, you could have made a real go at it. So make sure that you uh, consider that and, and, you know, be willing to take all of that into account. Okay. So The next thing is, as I'm moving through these, because I want to get to a part that I'm going to spend more time on. So if you need to listen to this again, which I'm fine with me, do so. Okay, so the first thing is, is do a postmortem debrief where you not only look at what went wrong, but what went right and what, if given enough time, would have been a winner. And that's important because that is one of the things that you can make note of as something that you can use or even restart. Okay, So next, this is a trick that I'm going to give you that entrepreneurial minds look at. If you're trying to start something or get back going 
Instead of trying to look at your efforts, look at what you can use with a greater impact. And we have a saying in the market, and it is, it's the who, not the how. The who, not the how. Meaning that you look and try to outsource what you don't know how to do. You find someone or some uh, service um, if it's more advantageous. And yes, if you don't have the money, which is a big deal. There are ways that you can still get this done. You can barter in kind. You can offer profit share. Um, There are many ways to get the who instead of just the how done. Now, I do encourage you to learn some of the how. I definitely do. But in the meantime and in between time, as much as you can, look and see um, how you can go about getting help from other people because that's going to be part of your leverage plan. And you see, with your leverage plan, I mentioned it a little bit before, but with your leverage, it's uh, where you're able to use a little bit of energy to control a lot of output. And so you definitely want to up your leverage game. And that leads me to a big insight. Um, I, I highlighted this book by Dapper Dan out of Harlem, uh, his memoir, and I encourage you to get it. I, I think I'll go in and put the link in the show notes just so that you can get it. And um, he talks about his 50 plus year run at living um, as an adult and making things happen. And he has never ever had a job working for anyone else. So he's 74 years old now and he has no social security, none of that. And so he's always been a hustler and he is a famed um, designer in Harlem. And when talking about social media, this is what he has to say. And you can really tell a true entrepreneur by how they look at everything. And this is what he says. He says, social media will get you recognized but distribution will get you money. That's Dapper Dan. So let's talk a little bit about distribution. Distribution, like it says, is uh, the established platform with tentacles out into the mass market. It's one thing to be homegrown and local. It's another thing to be global. And when you are doing a restart, You want to try to figure out the biggest distributions that you can tap into as fast as possible because you need to get paid. You need to get recompensed. You need to get back on your feet. So, for instance, right now, um, uh, self-publishing is really big, really, really big, right? And it used to be where just even five years ago or even maybe Three years ago, I would have said, you know, self-publishing is it. It is where to be. Now I'm looking at the fact that the big five have had these five to 10 years to study us, capture all this data on us, and now they know how to play our game and they're doing what we're able to do. And so now I am looking at moving into hybridness. It used to be even three years ago, hybrid deals weren't all that great. But now, because the industry has caught up and know what it takes to work with established um, self-publishers who can bring traffic in their own crowds, they're doing better and right by us. And so they're offering, you you guessed it, distribution. So in looking at how to restart, reset, or up your game, 
consider distribution. And when I say consider it, try to use it. So we've got leverage where you can outsource as much as possible that you're not good at. And we have distribution. And then that leads me to understanding your strategy game. One of the things that I noticed and when I've worked with other people is that they don't understand the necessary components of strategy just to get back on your feet. And I'm going to put this before you. We don't have time to go really down into the granular details, but I'm going to just say this. You need to know the difference between strategy, tactics, and events. Real quick, strategy is the overall game plan to achieve a certain goal. Tactics are the avenues, platforms, um, and ways you're going to get that done. And then events are the the actual things that happen um, to help you get your tactics achieved. And this is important because tactics get confused for strategy a lot of times. And a lot of people don't understand that they are failing because they still try to use outdated tactics because tactics change all the time. They're trying to use outdated tactics thinking that they're the strategy and it's your tactics that are doing you in where you keep failing. And so you need to always evaluate your strategy game to understand what is a real strategy and what's a tactic because tactics can be moved in and out to still achieve your strategy. So don't ever get attached to a tactic and and make it make you believe that it's a strategy. Okay. So then the next thing I talked about it before, I mean, earlier, I'm going to talk about it now. Use an OPE other people's experiences. That means that if you need to go and take a class and pay somebody for their experience, definitely do that. Case in point, I uh, <laughs> I talked, yeah, I talked the other day about uh, how I was really good at a certain uh, skill, uh, hair styling, cutting, and uh, that kind of stuff. And how um, I'm not physically able to do it as much. And people still kind of try to hint, hint, you need to do that. You would make, you know, so much money and all this kind of stuff. But what I have noticed is that the rigorous training, the deep training that I had to go through to learn my craft has kind of sort of went away to the point where uh, people who tout themselves as being specialists in certain areas when uh, and are charging exorbitant amounts are going off of social media fame and word of mouth because people don't have anything to really compare it to. Just see, you know, just case in point, I've had to fix many haircuts. And uh, it, 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 I, I, I do understand that I was taking 25 plus years of not only doing them, but taking trainings all the time, paying for expensive trainings to understand different ways people looked at haircutting, learning how to cut different ethnic ethnic types of hairs and uh, learning geometry and angles and hand positions and practicing hand um, movements to be able to achieve certain sustained and repetitious things to achieve stuff. So yeah, it was a lot in that. And that experience, I was able to transfer to others. And so you need to be able to pay for other people's experiences and trainings because you're going to get a refinement 
that you understand about what you're able to do when you don't just make it only about what you're able to do. Now, yes, definitely rely on your previous experience. It can be a boost. You can bring that to the table. No matter what you move into, definitely do that. But don't despise getting experience from other people. It's going to be a shortcut for you. So the next thing is, is I want to talk about thought architecture. And this is something that eluded me before I had this major crash of losing everything. And it's important that you understand that once you have had a big enough failure for your very identity to be changed, you need to go in and architect your thoughts. Don't just leave it to to fate, to chance or anything because you will fall into a downward spiral and it will take you much longer to get back to just where you were if you aren't aware that you need to do some construction. So you need to construct some mental frameworks. Yes, um, people use the word mindset and all of that. Yeah, get your mindset right. But here are some more on top of that. Because like I said, I only have a few minutes and I want to make sure I give you stuff that is going to be highly useful and packed full of wisdom smacks for you. When you construct these mental frameworks above and beyond getting your mindset right, believing in yourself and all of that, the next thing I want you to do is I want you to construct your mental frameworks around risk, power, vision, and deep training. Let me repeat them. Construct mental uh, frameworks around risk, power, vision, in-field deep training. So what do I mean by that? All right. So risk. You need to decide. Remember, I said decide instead of choose. Cut off all the other options, but you need to decide what is going to be your level of risk. I'm going to do. I'm going to deal a little bit more with that risk in a moment. So I'm going to just say that right there and then move on. And the next thing is power. I'm definitely going to deal with power after this. the The next one after that is get a mental framework of your vision. And when I say your vision, if you can't envision, pretend, or fabricate something, you are not going to know what it looks like when you are having success and you are moving forward and you want to have directional impact in your restart. You want to be moving forward, upward, better, however you want to articulate that, but you want to have movement. You don't want to be stagnant. And then the next thing is, is you want to make sure that you are connected with your deep training for using it in the field. So remember when I talked about previous experience, whether it's your own or someone else's, and understanding what went wrong, what went right, and what, if given uh, enough time, would be a winner? This is where that comes into play. When you're actually in the thick of it, you need to be able to know that you can rely on your deep training. And that comes from clearing out all of the rubbish and the crap within your thoughts that would impede you from um, subconsciously and immediately connecting to the deep training you have when you need it. It needs to be so clear that you don't have anything stubbing out your ability to act when you are in the midst of doing what you need to do. All right, so now let's talk about calculated risk. All right, and you notice I said calculated risk. There is a book that is by one of my favorite authors. I've um, His interview that I did, a special 
edition coming up this week uh, where I talked to Doc, uh, to John Braddock. He is a was a CIA operative. He's a strat- strategy consultant, and he is the author of the series of books, A Spy's Guide Too. And his latest one is A Spy's Guide to Taking Risk. And we had an opportunity to talk about calculated risk and deep training in the field. Now, um, that book is amazing and you have to get it. You just, you just have to, it's a quick read. You have to get it. I'm gonna put the note, put the link in the show notes. So make sure you get that book. Um, so in the meantime and in between time, calculated risk. One of the things that I found that I really liked uh, to give like a short wisdom smack was the trajectory and the journey of John, uh, excuse me, of James Halshauer. Uh, I think that's how you say his last name. He is the most recent long-term Jeopardy um, show winner. And he just recently lost, but, um, well, he lost a little bit, a little while ago. But anyway, um, he had a great way of looking at his Jeopardy strategy that I thought was quite funny, but I could see it based on what he was doing. Okay, so the way he did his calculated risk was this. When he, he said his strategy was simply this, he would go after the highest dollar questions first. That's what a lot of people do, right? Then he would go after all of the daily doubles. Then he would bet big and not be afraid to risk winnings. He used this based on OPM, other people's money. But his calculated risks were based on his ability to connect to his deep training in the field. You see, as a professional gambler prior to this, and now he's back to gambling, he learned certain skills that would bode him well in the field. And those skills boil down to memory. He has an excellent memory. When he is playing poker, he understands the cards that have hit the table, the river, and other people's hands. He doesn't have to card count or any of that stuff. He just has a memory and he is able to operate. And so he was able to use that memory to parlay it into these um, being able to quickly recall trivial information, Jeopardy, you know, trivia, trivial information in the field while he was playing this game. He never said that he was some type of uh, savant when it came to arbitrary information, but his skills of in the field of having to think fast on the fly with high risk situations as a gambler boded him well. So when you're looking at calculated risks, take your deep training and that is what you use to fuel your risk. So most people would have been thinking, oh yeah, go after the highest dollars, find the daily doubles, bid, 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 bet big, and don't be afraid to risk. But if you look at that, that only works if you have deep training of uh, quick memory recall. All right. Yeah. So you see how you did that. The next thing is, is you want to look at your power. So this is where I'm going to spend the rest of this segment talking about these different powers. Now, I have talked about the laws of power quite often, um, the 48 Laws of Power by Robert Greene. But today, I'm going to be talking about the powers themselves. All right. So there are 
for the most part, two different types of power. We've got formal power and we've got personal power. I'm doing a lot of peas. I hope that's not popping in your ears, okay? So let's talk about the formal powers. You have coercive, reward, and legitimate. So let's deal with those first, okay? So the formal powers are going to be when it comes to organizations, businesses, countries, groups of people, communities, and those types of things, okay? So the first one, and I'm going to be listing these from order of either shortest or um, most unstable to stable, okay? So the first one is coercive, and coercive power is short-term, it's fleeting, it doesn't last long, and coercive power has to deal with threats, fears, and force. It's uh, where you you beat people, you threaten them, you torture them, those types of things, if they don't comply, okay? And then the next one after that is reward. Now, both of these are um, powers, but reward doesn't last forever either because there's going to come a time when people are not willing to do what you want them to, no matter how much you're paying them, how much you can offer them or whatever. But with reward power, reward power is it comes from you rewarding people for their compliance to your wishes through money, promotions, extra perks, or even time with you. So that's reward power. Then we have legitimate power. And legitimate power comes from being appointed to a position by election or promotion and being recognized by higher authorities for that position. So that would be like a manager, a boss or something like that. So now I've talked about the formal powers. Let's get down to the good, good. Let's get down to these personal powers that are going to help you with your restart handbook. I hope this is good for you, you guys. I'm, I'm, I'm giving this to you from hard-won uh, experiences, okay? So personal powers. This is when uh, life started to get better for me in restarting and always having an assurance that I would be able to get back on my feet because I started to understand these personal powers, all right? So here we go. We have um, informal, connection, expert, and referent. So let's talk about that. So the first one would be informal. And informal, uh, excuse me, I said informal, informational. Ah, sorry about that, you guys. Slip of tongue. So let me go back over them again. You have informational, connection, expert, and referent. So let's talk. Informational is short-term, and it's where you possess information needed highly sought after or wanted for a specific reason. You might be skilled in a, uh, a talent. You might know somebody's name to, to, to give to someone, but it is a short-term kind of power. All right. The next one would be connection. And connection power ha- is it deals with influence. So when I talked about status yesterday and how status is influential power. That's where this one would be, connection. The reason a lot of times people have status is because they can help other people to up their status. And usually it's through the form of connecting them with other people. Your status uh, is going to be uh, powerful if you are able to garner the favor of the influential or um, be a powerful networker with the influential and the powerful. So think of the Godfather movie, and I mentioned in another podcast on Netflix, they have this documentary called The Black Godfather. 
by the, and then this talks about a guy by the name of Clarence Avant. And he was what they would call the original social media uh, influencer or the original influencer. And he wields a lot of power. So that's going to be the connection power. It's based on who you know and how uh, much in favor you are with them and what you're able to do with them and other people. You're a great connector. All right. So then the next one after that is going to be expert power. Now, this power comes from you having a superior experience or experiences, skills and knowledge. When you become an expert at something, you are sought after and esteemed for that knowledge, for that experience, and for that skill. Now, the thing about expert knowledge, you can't just have the skill. You need to know how to convey what you know to others, whether you are informing them, consulting them, or teaching them. So you can't just be expert in something but not know how to relay that information to someone. The expert power is in um, having the skills and also being able to communicate those skills or transfer those skills to others. And then the top one, whether it be formal or personal, is going to be referent power. Referent power comes from being respected, highly influential, being charismatic or having high and or, I should say, having high integrity. It is the highest power. And the thing is, is you can tell referent power uh, by this. How is it that you can have an old, feeble person walk on a scene and everyone stops what they're doing and almost eat sometimes physically bow or show reverence for this person's presence? Now, if you were to go and strike that person, you would probably be able to beat them to the ground. You would probably be able to win. But I will tell you this, if you did that and other people were around, or even if other people hear that you did that, there will be revenge. Your head will be on the chopping block because this referent power is so powerful that this person inspires others to um, enforce their power when need be. And so this is real important to understand these personal powers when you are trying to restart your life, because based on what you need and when you need it, you can move in between them to do what you need to do. So I have, I know I've given you a lot today, but guess what? My time is up and I do thank you for yours. This has been Michelle Spiva with another podcast of Wisdom Smack, where we've been talking how to restart your life when all has gone to you know where and back. So I'm going to talk to you, talk to you tomorrow. Don't forget to like, subscribe, rate, review, and comment. And you can even send me a message. Uh, check the show notes for how to. Use our Amazon link at michellespiva.com forward slash AMZ. And I am going to see you tomorrow. Bye. And that's going to do it for today's podcast of Wisdom Smack with Michelle Spiva. If you like this podcast, please help us get the word out. Like, comment, subscribe, and even share. And if you really like it, 
Please help us continue to get the word out by considering using this show's link for Amazon. So when you want to go to Amazon and you do all of your general shopping, uh, please use michellespiva.com forward slash AMZ. It's simple as that. It doesn't cost you anything extra. And this show might receive a little bit of commission that will go towards helping to further get these episodes out to you and to others. So thank you so much for listening. This has been Michelle Spiva with Wisdom Smack. Bye.